You know, there are significant moments in your life that occur that you never forget. One of those for me happened back in 2010. Christy and I, we flew on an airplane to Ethiopia to pick up our two sons. When we arrived uh, in Addis, we were taken to a, 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 a hotel almost, a, a place where we stayed. And while we waited uh, that night to meet our boys in the morning, we got terrible sleep because we were so excited to get a chance to meet these sweet boys. We were taken by a car early the next morning to the orphanage. We walk up some stairs, we're taken to a living room, and we sit down and we wait. And then they bring these two precious boys and hand them over to us. Christy and I, we were weeping with joy as we finally got to wrap our arms around our sons. Well, one of the parts of becoming my son is that there is an exchange that takes place. Old clothes are taken off and new clothes are put on. You see, our children were handed over to us in clothes that were dirty and stained and had holes in them and they had a smell. And then what we did was we took those clothes off and we put brand new clothes onto them, picturing what has happened ultimately for us in the gospel. There's an exchange that has taken place in your life and in my life. And at the moment you believe the gospel, you are, have all of your sins taken away. Not in part, but the whole. They are nailed to Jesus at the cross. You see, when we come to Christ, we are stained with sin. We have a hole in our hearts that nothing can satisfy other than Christ. But God does something for us. He takes our sin at the cross and he then clothes us in his righteousness. Indeed, adoption makes us new through the gospel. So that now that you and I, now that we are in Christ, we are in pursuit of becoming more like Christ. And that's what the Apostle Paul is teaching us in Colossians chapter 3. Let me show you. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Today's message is specifically geared towards our, our Westwood students who have been meeting with uh, D-Now this weekend. Uh, it's been an incredible weekend. D-Now is a in-town retreat in which teenagers go to different people's homes and they do in-depth Bible study, both in large group settings like in here and in small group settings as well. Now, this past weekend, we had a, almost, almost 180 students who were gathering. This is the largest D-Now that We've, we've ever had, and, and I was thrilled because last night the gospel was preached. We had five students who responded to the gospel and decided to follow Christ. We've had over 40 students who are not connected with any church at all who, who, who have come this weekend, and this is their first time like coming in and experiencing something like this, and so I am so grateful for so many volunteers who make a weekend like this happen. So the sermon this morning is inside of the scope and sequence of what the D-Nows students are studying. And then, in fact, tonight, Christy and I, we're going to come back, and she's going to be teaching the girls, and I'm going to be teaching the guys, and we'll have a really cool breakout session there. But Lord willing, we're going to pick up our Take It All sermon series next week. Now, the theme of the weekend was pursuit. 
You see, before we come to know Jesus, you and I, we pursue sin. But then we find out what God has done for us in the gospel. God pursues us. He loves us so much in the gospel that he sends Jesus, his one and only son, who goes to the cross to pay for our sin so that through the cross, he might bring us back into a right relationship with himself. Well, in Colossians chapter one, Paul reminds the church at Colossae of the greatness of Jesus over all things. Indeed, Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And by him, all things were made, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. And whether thrones, powers, rulers, or authorities, all things were made by him and for him. And through him are all things. He is the head of the body the church. Indeed, Paul is driving home the supremacy of Jesus over all things. And he gets to chapter two, and he begins walking these, this Colossian church through the, the, the heresy that has been taught to them. And he's saying, that's not the real Jesus. This is not the real gospel that we have come to believe. And he reminds them of the truth of the gospel. And then in chapter three, Paul writes this. He says, therefore, since we have been raised with Christ, seek the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That word seek, verse one, it carries the idea of a continuous action. We are to keep seeking. We are to keep pursuing. Well, what are we to be pursuing? Verse one, the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. We pursue Christ in the things above, namely the things in heaven. And as we pursue Christ in his coming kingdom, our minds are to focus upon him. Well, the question is why? Why are we to pursue Christ in the things above? Well, Paul reminds the church at Colossae, and he reminds you and I today of this, verse three. For you died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. You see, the moment you trusted in Christ, the old self, the old man died with Christ. Indeed, your old sinful nature was nailed to the cross. And when you believed the gospel, you died to your old way of life. And now you set your mind on the things above. Now you pursue Christ in his kingdom. Well, how long does this last? This pursuit of following Jesus, when do we call it quits? Verse four, it says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. In essence, you and I, we keep pursuing Christ until we go on to glory. You see, there's a sense in which for many believers, they pursue hard after Christ early. Teenage years, maybe, maybe as a child, we, we press pause during college. I don't know why, it's wrong. We need to remain faithful to Jesus to keep going strong. But I, I see far too many believers who get towards the end of the life and they, they kind of put it in cruise control. They take it easy. No, 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 no. The theme here of Colossians 3 is that we pursue Christ. We seek hard after Christ until the day he appears, until the day he returns. So if you and I, if Christ returns during our lifetime, once he comes back, that's when the pursuit changes. 
But for now, we are to pursue hard after Christ. Well, the question is, practically, how do we do that? That sounds really good. That's it's good truth. It's good theology. But how? How do we pursue Christ? I put that, that question in your notes intentionally. I put that word we there. And I did it on, on purpose. Because pursuit of Christ is a communal project. We, we, the, the theme throughout the New Testament is very rarely are we called out by ourselves to do specific things. Oftentimes the scripture tells us we do it together as the body. We are a people who follow Christ together because it's going to take all of us to encourage one another and to push one another to be faithful to Jesus until we take our last breath. You and I, we need each other. To persevere in the gospel, we need people around us to spur us on in love and good deeds. We need one another to encourage and to pray for and to keep pushing one another to keep following hard after Christ. This is why having a life group is is vital because you have people who commit to just say, I'm going to encourage you, I'm going to pray for you, and then you get to do the same for them. And say, we're going to do this together and we're going to keep running hard after Jesus until he calls us home to glory. So together, how do we pursue Christ? I want you to see in the text, first, we are to be continually be killing sin. Continually be killing sin. Look at the text, verse five. Paul says, therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. The tense of that word put to death, it's just like the word seek. It's a continuous action. It carries the idea of continuously be killing, continuously be putting to death. Remember, Paul told us back in verse 3, for you died. You see, your old nature died with Christ. The moment you believed the gospel. So for Paul, it was Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus in which he met Jesus and indeed his old nature, the Saul of Tarsus, died. For me, it was 18 years ago in my bedroom, 1 a.m. at night, and I'm opening the Bible. I read 1 Corinthians 2.9. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. I knew I was in desperate need of Christ, so I get on my knees and I cry out to God and he saved me. And one of the things that happens at the moment you believe the gospel, at the moment I believe the gospel, is that our old nature died. And yet, you and I, we're still in this earthly body. We still struggle with sin. We are still fighting against an earthly nature. It's called the flesh. So here, Paul is calling upon us as new creations in Christ. We are still in the flesh. We are to be putting to death the sinful, evil desires in our earthly nature. Now, this is key because this, the rest of this sermon is gonna feel like one big burden if you're not in Christ. Okay, see, for the believer, you want to put to death. You desire to live for Christ. You are 
bothered, you despise your own sin. It bothers you, the sin in your own heart. You get more upset over the, the, the sin in your own flesh than in the other world. You're just like, oh, what a wretched man that I am. We just read that in Romans 7. There's a sense in which you look at your heart and you're like, no, but you want Christ. You desire to put to death. You want to do away with sin in your life. You're tired of continually fighting against the flesh. So as we study this text, this is not a have to. This is a want to. You see, when you see what Christ has done for you in the gospel, when you see all that Jesus went through at the cross, you want to kill the sin in your own heart. And so verse five, Paul practically calls upon believers to be continually killing sin. Well, what sin are we to kill? Well, he lists five in verse five. Now, this is not an exhaustive list because Paul lists out more in 1 Corinthians 6 and in 1 Timothy 1 and in Galatians 5. But these are the sins of the flesh that you and I, we are to be continually putting to death. Notice that he says first, verse five, sexual immorality. The word for that is pornea, where we get the word pornography. But the word has a broader meaning than just our form of pornography. The word is a reference to any sex outside of the marriage covenants. You see, it is God's will that we be holy and blameless and set apart, including in our sex lives. That sex was designed by God for his glory inside the covenant of marriage. But for us who belong to Christ, never Never do we go looking for sexual satisfaction outside of his design in the marriage covenant. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality. We are to be like Joseph in Genesis 39 when he is tempted by Potiphar's wife into sexual immorality. He cries out, how can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And he runs out of the house because he wanted to abstain from sexual immorality. The second word he uses, verse five, impurity. This is a reference to impure thoughts. Hear me on this. Evil thoughts lead to evil behavior. Evil thoughts lead to evil behavior. You see, the battle against sin is won and lost in your mind. This is where the battle takes place. Question, how's your thought life? Are you training your mind to think godly, pure thoughts? Or are you allowing your mind to go idle? Are you allowing your mind to chase fantasies? Are you allowing your mind to not be disciplined by the word? You see, the real litmus test of this is if we had the ability to take all of your thoughts and put them up on a screen. Would we find someone who is laboring and seeking hard after Christ and disciplining their minds and taking every thought captive? Or do we find someone who's just allowing their minds to think about the things of the flesh and the things of the world? Paul says, 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but sanctification, okay, becoming like Christ. 
Then those three and four in verse five, he uses the words lust and evil desire. These are unbridled sexual passions and cravings, but that's not you anymore. This is not for those who belong to Christ. You've been bought with the blood of Christ. We, we don't live in lustful passions like those who don't know God. Like that's not for those who are in Christ. Followers of Jesus, we're to be continually killing sexual desires that do not honor Christ. Notice the fifth one in verse five. Greed which is idolatry. You see, greed is the insatiable desire to want something more than God. Greed comes from the heart. Question, do you want a family more than you want Jesus? Do you want a, sex, a, a successful career more than you want Jesus? Do you want a safe, happy, easy life more than you want Jesus? Do you want a lot of money more than you want Jesus? You see, whatever you want in this life more than Jesus, that is the idolatry that Paul's referencing here. It's a desire, it's a greedy heart in which you are coveting something that God has not called for you to have. So this is, this is how God is calling us to live. It is a putting to death. We're to be different than the rest of how the rest of the world lives. Because, verse 6, God's wrath is coming on the disobedient. But before you and I even come close to being prideful about our state before God, let's remember verse 7. You once walked in these things when you were living in them. See, if you don't know, know Jesus this morning, I, I wanna make sure we're clear on the front end that do not presume that the moment you come to faith in Jesus, you're no longer gonna struggle with sin. Okay, committing to follow Christ is saying, I'm turning away from my old way of life and I'm turning, and I'm trusting in Jesus by faith. But there's, You've got to understand the forefront before you commit to following Christ, you're still going to be in a fight. You're still going to be in a war. You're going to be in a battle in which you are seeking to have victory over your own flesh. So whether you're eight or 108, if you are in Christ, hear me today, keep killing your sin. Keep putting it to death. Keep pursuing Christ by doing away with the desires of your flesh. If you have still air in your lungs, keep killing your sin. But you see, the beauty of the gospel is that it's not your behavior that saves you. This is a liberating part of the gospel is that your salvation is not dependent upon how successful you are in killing your sin. Your salvation is based upon what Christ has done for you. It's not your behavior that saves you. It's Christ's behavior for you through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. So your salvation is secure in Christ. But if you have been bought with Christ, you have the desire in which you want to put to death the deeds of the body. You want to follow Christ. You seek the fellowship and intimacy with God by putting away your old nature and trying to walk in the victory that Christ has accomplished for you at the Christ. But hear me, if you get lazy, if you become lackadaisical, 
If you become careless in your passion for holiness, if you neglect this portion of your walk with Christ, do not be surprised when you find yourself in catastrophic sin. I think it's one of the most heartbreaking parts of being a pastor is when I see godly people fall into egregious sin. A giant step towards walking in that direction is when God's people stop fighting the flesh. Indeed, big sins begin with small compromise. See, you you take that second look at that attractive woman or man. You stay on that picture on your screen for just a little bit too long. You don't change the channel as fast as you used to. You fill your mind with music and with movies and with lyrics that do not point you to Jesus. You surround yourself with people who do not honor Christ with their lives. The Lord told Cain in Genesis 4, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Hear me, beloved, sin is crouching at your door. It seeks to come after you. It seeks to take you down. Hear me, do not play with your sin. Kill it. Put it to death. But hear me, it's continuous. It is a constant fight to the end. Secondly, I want you to see, well, I'm sorry, first, uh, this is important. I wanna kind of lay out some practical ways. How do you kill sin? Let me give you four quick ways. The first is this, starve your flesh and feed your spirit. Starve your flesh and feed your spirit. The Holy Spirit who lives inside of you, um, he is at war with your flesh. And the two, they're in constant battle. Paul says in Galatians 5, 17, for the flesh desires what is against the spirit and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other. So if you can imagine inside of you, there are two bulldogs, the flesh and the spirit. They want to kill one another. Which one is gonna win? Depends upon which one you feed. If you feed the flesh by ungodly language, watching inappropriate movies, filling your mind with things of this world, don't be surprised that the flesh becomes greater than the spirit. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. By memorizing the word of God, studying the scripture, faithfully and regularly gathering with God's people, seeking the Lord in prayer, inviting accountability and sharpening from others. If you starve the flesh and feed the spirit, you will be successful in killing sin. Secondly, take every thought captive. Take every thought captive. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Take every thought captive, you make it obedient to Christ. So as soon as that ungodly thought comes into your mind, you take it captive, you arrest it. You put its arms behind its back and you don't let it fight. You're gonna contain that thought. And then what do you do? Number three, you pray for strength. You see, putting to death the deeds of the body is spiritual warfare. This is a battle in which you need spiritual weapons. You need to ask the Holy Spirit to give you power, strength, and victory to be able to crush the sin that comes into your life. Fourthly, unsheathe your Bible. You pull out the word of God and you put that sin to death. You take the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit, Ephesians 6. 
and you fight back with the word. So when you are tempted with lust, you think 1 Corinthians 6, flee from all forms of sexual immorality. You think of Job 31.1, how uh, I've made a covenant with my eyes that I will not look lustfully at a woman. I'm gonna take every thought captive, I'm gonna make it obedient to Christ, and I'm gonna honor Jesus with my mind. This is how you do it. And you do it over and over and over and over. And here's what happens. The more you do steps one through four, right here, you do this, it's amazing the victory that you're gonna begin to experience. And do you know what happens? After you experience victory, you start collecting these wins, you start hanging banners. You start looking back saying, wow, look at how much victory I have in my life lately. I can look back on the last several weeks, last several months, even years, and for some of us, decades of God's grace in being able to conquer sin in your life. But don't look now. Tomorrow's coming. So don't rest on previous victories. Keep pressing on and continuously be killing your sin. Secondly, I want you to see in the text, take off your pride. Take off your pride. Verse 8. But now put away all of the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have, been, you have put off the old self with its practices. That word for put away, it carries the meaning of taking off old clothes. Just as you take off dirty clothes at the end of the day, so believers are to take off, we are to throw away the pride in our life. When I was in high school and college, I got a job at a steakhouse working as a dishwasher. And I loved the job because I paid well and the time would fly by. But I had these pair of work jeans that were filthy. They could quite literally stand up in the corner by themselves. <laughs> I mean, we're talking, they had barbecue sauce stains and soft drinks and dressings and um, just grease. They were nasty and gnarly. And it got to the point where the stink was so bad, I just had to throw them away. Well, that's a picture of what Paul is saying here. You got to do away with, you got to throw away, take off this old way of life. You're to take off the pride. Notice these six ways that pride shows up in our lives. Or to take off, verse eight, anger. Okay, that anger, it's a violent passion in your heart. It's an emotion. Secondly, he uses wrath. Anger in your heart, wrath is the outward application of that anger. It's a sudden outburst of rage. Third, malice. This is when you try to harm someone. You try to hurt someone. Then Paul moves from the emotional and the physical into the verbal. Verse eight, slander. This is speaking ill of other people. It's maligning people's character, insulting other people. Whether it's at the lunch table or via text message or on social media, we must never use words to malign or belittle or insult the character of other people, regardless of who they are. That's not who we are in Christ. Fifthly, we see Filthy language. That's a reference to someone who is foul-mouthed. They're cursing. It's obscene language. It's intended to hurt people. Question, how is your language at the office? How's your language on the ball field? Are you allowing words to slip out of your mouth that do not honor Jesus? Hear me today. A dirty mouth reveals a dirty heart. 
So ask Jesus to clean your heart and watch how your language begins to change. Then we see verse nine, lying to one another. You see, lying is a characteristic of Satan. God is the truth. He always speaks the truth. So if God's people lie, we are aligning ourselves more with Satan than we are with God. We are to always be truth tellers. When we tell stories, we're accurate. When we're reporting numbers, we seek to be precise. We are honest people because God is an honest, truth-telling God who lives inside of us. Thirdly, not only are we to take off our pride, but we are to put on Christ-likeness. Verse 10, put on the new self. So if we're to take off our pride like clothing, verse 8, then we are to put on Christ's likeness like clothing. Colossians 3. It's a spiritual changing room. Okay, there's a, there's a clothes exchange. You take off the old, you put on the new. So what we see here, verse 10, we have a new self that's being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. What is God doing? It is God's mission to make you look like Jesus. That's his desire. That's what he's accomplishing. This is his purpose. Romans 8, 29, those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. Why are we going this, through this pursuit of Christ by having to put to death and having to take off and put on? It's because verse 10, God wants to bring you into the image of your creator. He wants to make you like himself. And as that's the case. As we follow Christ, there are implications for the church. Verse 11, in Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Indeed, the church, for us who belong to Jesus, that we should put off any barriers that keep us from gathering together as one in Christ. Okay, right now, race is dividing our nation. And Paul is saying, may it never be. You've been bought with the blood of Christ. It's not black and white, Jew, Gentile, male and female, Republican and Democrat. It's Christ. Church, you are to be one because Christ is all and in all. Westwood, may we continually pursue and we strive to be continually seeking to look more like heaven here. Heaven is not gonna be primarily Anglo-whites. Praise God for that. So let's pursue after what we see here in the text, a God who says Christ is all and he is in all regardless of where you come from. But he's open for the taking for all who believe the gospel. But then notice the character of Christ that we pursue. Verse 12. As God's chosen holy ones, dearly loved, instead of anger, we put on compassion. Instead of wrath, we put on kindness. Instead of malice, we put on humility. Instead of slander, we put on gentleness. Instead of filthy language, we put on patience. Instead of lying to one another, we are bearing with one another. You forgive in the same way that Christ has forgiven you. But above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. What a great phrase. 
Love that. The perfect bond of unity. What do divided churches need? The love of Christ. What do divided marriages need? The love of Christ. What do divided relationships need? The love of Christ. What does a divided nation need? The love of Christ. So for all of us together, the impact point is this. Commit to kill your sin and pursue Christ with all of your hearts. Do you remember what happened in Genesis 3 after Adam and Eve fell? They felt shame and they covered themselves with fig leaves and then they went diving behind trees. So when God comes pursuing after them, they're hiding. They don't want God to find them, but he knows exactly where they are. And so he calls them out. It says, come here. I, I know what's happening. Let's get to the bottom of this. And then God sorts it all out. And then after he hands out the judgments, here's what's going to happen, Satan. Here's what's going to happen, man. Here's what's going to happen, woman. He then takes the man and the woman. He takes away the fig leaves. And he offers a sacrifice. And he takes the sacrifice and he clothes Adam and Eve. What a picture of what God has done for us. We are just like our first parents. In our sin, we cover ourselves to the best of our ability, but it looks foolish. And we go hiding from God behind trees in loneliness. But God lovingly calls us out. He sorts everything out. And then he points to an ultimate sacrifice, his son. And Jesus, who is our perfect sacrifice, then clothes us with his righteousness. This morning, if you are not in Christ, would you come to him? He bled and died on the cross for your sin so that you might trust and believe upon him. Come to Christ. He will clothe you in his righteousness. He will wash away all of your sin and shame and he will make you brand new. This morning, come to Christ. This morning, if you're already in Christ, you may be looking at those list of sins in Colossians 3 saying, oh my goodness, I can identify with this one and that one or maybe even all of them. They say, God is so faithful. Jared read the text earlier, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and to forgive us. You can experience freedom by coming out of the dark and stepping into the light and allowing God to heal you with his gospel. So Westwood, let's pursue hard after Christ.